Hello there and welcome along to Planet Sport Football Africa, a passion for sport production where we look at African football, what's happening around the continent and what African players are doing overseas. I'm Steve Vickers at the Africa Cup of Nations in Cote d'Ivoire, joined by Stuart Weir in the UK. Uh, lots to talk about and we'll hear from DR Congo forward Johan Wisser later on in the show. This promises to be a truly great Africa Cup of Nations. Good crowds, great football and plenty of goals. Although the atmosphere dipped somewhat here on Thursday when Cote d'Ivoire lost 1-0 to Nigeria. The elephants are still likely to progress to the round of 16, but not necessarily as group winners now. I saw fans watching at a beachside bar here in San Pedro. Uh, The mood was very different after the game compared to when the Elephants won on the opening day. The fans were very much subdued. Well, elsewhere on Thursday, a pulsating game between Egypt and Ghana ended in a 2-2 draw. Mohamed Salah taken off injured before half-time. Not looking good for the Black Stars with one point from two games. And we had the first AFCON hat-trick since 2008 with Emilio Nsui of Equatorial Guinea getting three goals in a 4-2 win over Guinea-Bissau. At the age of 34, he's the oldest player in AFCON history to get a hat-trick. And Guinea-Bissau are the first team to be eliminated from this edition of the tournament. Well, I'm in the city of San Pedro, the smallest of the host cities. It's in the southwest of the country, on the coast, so I'm right next to the Atlantic Ocean. And actually, my hotel room is only about 200 meters from the sea, so it's a beautiful location. Very hot and humid here and all across the country. Uh, the top temperature is around 32 degrees or so, but because of the humidity, it feels way, way hotter than that. And at night, it hardly cools down, only drops down to about 25 degrees. So I'm here as part of the CAF commentary team and we're broadcasting to around 180 countries around the world. Uh, Super Sport in Sub-Saharan Africa, national broadcasters all around the continent. Uh, also we're broadcasting in the UK on Sky Sports in America, on BN Sports at USA and to the Middle East as well, among other locations too. So uh, there's huge interest in this edition of the tournament and uh, so far it is living up to expectations. So the Group F games started with a bang on Wednesday at the newly built Laurent Pocou Stadium here in San Pedro. Uh, Laurent Pocou was a legend of African football, the only player to have scored five goals in a game at the Africa Cup of Nations. That was back in 1970 for Cote d'Ivoire against Ethiopia. And Pocou held the top goal-scoring record of 14 AFCON goals until Samuel Eto'o surpassed him in 2008. Uh, anyway, in the first game here in San Pedro, we saw Morocco beating Tanzania 3-0. Comprehensive win and uh, there's a good number of travelling Morocco fans to support them. Uh, They really are big contenders as they look for their first AFCON title in 48 years. And uh, for me, it was really amazing to see players like Atraf Hakimi and Hakim Ziyech in the flesh. They're truly world-class. Uh, Hakimi, the Paris Saint-Germain right-back, has stupendous pace. And uh, Ziyech, who's on loan from Chelsea to Galatasaray, uh, seems to go up a level with the national team with his performance. His runs, his shots, something to behold. Uh, then we had Zambia drawing 1-1 with DR Congo in a really good game. Uh, the DRC should have won it. Uh, they've got really good players at big clubs. Uh, Zambia are back after missing three editions of the Nations Cup. They haven't actually won a game at the AFCON since 2012 when they were the champions. 
Now, one sad thing for Zambia is the absence of Enoch Mwepu, who had to cut short his career and retire last year because of a heart condition. Mwepu was flying with Brighton and Zambia at the time. He started out with Chipolo Polo at the beginning of these qualifiers, but couldn't continue and is now in the Brighton youth setup as a coach. Mwepu was part of the Zambia Under-20 team that hosted and won the Under-20 Africa Cup of Nations in 2017 with players like Patson Daka, Fashion Sakala, Emmanuel Banda and Edward Chulufia who are featuring for the senior team now. Well, Daka and Sakala spoke to Faz TV about missing Mwepu. It is a, still a difficult moment for all of us. We were talking about this moment together for quite a long time, you know, the dreams that we had together. But it's also a motivation for us knowing that we still carry him in our hearts we always fight for him as well and he's still a big part for our group it may not be together on the pitch but we know that he's always there supporting us he's always there wishing us the very best and we'll always try to do our best to do everything that we can to make him proud as well yeah knowing that you know is not here with us it's 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 painful it's painful you know he has been a very good leader he has been a very good leader since the 20 the under 20 uh team he has been a very good leader and uh, i really feel sad knowing that he's not here with us he started the qualifiers with us uh it's just it's very unfortunate that uh, that he's not here with us i just hope that uh, he can be invited to come and watch one of the games i feel like he's always there with us you know in uh, in all the qualifiers that we played with him i just felt like he was still part of us part of the team and uh, the good thing is that uh, i'm always in touch with him i try by all means to talk to him i just want to see him here and hopefully we can uh, we can do well here and make him proud because he started this journey as a captain. He started this journey as a very dedicated player. That's Fashion Sakala. Before him, Pats and Daka on Enoch Mwepu and him having to cut short his career. That audio from the Football Association of Zambia, Faz TV on YouTube. Uh, the Zambia coach Avran Grant told me that Mwepu has been in touch with the team to wish them all the best, uh, but he's not sure if Mwepu will be coming here to Cote d'Ivoire. But uh, we really do wish Enoch Mwepu Mwepu all the best as he's missing out on playing here. Well, this is Planet Sport Football Africa, brought to you by Passion for Sport, coming to you from the Africa Cup of Nations in Côte d'Ivoire. Uh, there are five host cities. Uh, they include Yama Sucru, where Group C games are being played. That's the group with Senegal, the Gambia, Guinea and Cameroon. And my colleague Piers Edwards is doing commentary on the games there. I asked him about the history and the sites of Yama Sucru, uh, which is the capital city of Côte d'Ivoire, although uh, most people think that it's Abidjan, uh, but it's not. No, that's right, Steve. The actual capital is indeed a Yamasukro, while Abidjan, which was the former capital, now has to make do with being the economic capital alone. Well, there are other countries around the world which have these distinctive capitals or differing ones, such as South Africa and Netherlands and Bolivia, amongst others. So Yamasukro, which is popularly known as Yamkro by many here, is fairly near the middle of Ivory Coast. It's nowhere near being the biggest city because it's dwarfed by Abidjan, which has uh, over six million people. While this is a city with around half a million at best. And in 1950, Yamkro was said to have just 500, count them, 500 inhabitants. But uh, as with several countries around the world, it's taken on an elevated importance because it was the birthplace of one of the key political figures in the early history of the country, in this case, Felix Houphouet-Boigny, 
the first president of Ivory Coast uh, who was in power from 1960 until his death in his late 80s in 1993. He was born here in the 1900s. It was little more than a, a village, I understand. It still has a very relaxed feel today with wide open streets, very easy traffic and uh, plenty of vegetation and greenery uh, all around, lots of trees. Uh, in short, it is very, very calm, far more so than many African cities with their buzz, their noise, their energy. But then I guess that's how uh, political and administrative capitals are. And this former village has been one for, what, over 40 years now. There is, though, one standout feature, and that's the extraordinary Basilica, the Basilica of Our Lady of Peace, the largest Catholic church in the world, even larger than the Vatican on which it's modelled. Uh, it was even consecrated, by the way, by no less a figure than the Pope himself, Pope John Paul II, in 1990. And when you get close to it, and I've yet to visit, given I've been concentrating on the Nation Cup, but I have seen it from afar, the size of it must be enormous, because even from a long way away, the size of the dome blows you away. Uh, then again, it does stand at just over 150 metres high, double the diameter of St Peter's in Rome as well. And uh, apparently it's got plenty of Italian marble and stained glass from France. Uh, and it was very big and very costly. Uh, and I think that's one of the problems, actually, because it's described as a bit of a white elephant in that it needs uh, over a million dollars a year uh, to fund. But that's where Hufwe Boigny's funeral uh, was held when he died. He's buried at the nearby presidential palace, very, very close to the basilica. That can also, uh, well, that can only be seen from afar. Uh, and has some sacred crocodiles in a lake on its southern side. I believe I've seen that lake, and I can confirm the crocs' existence, uh, having seen while one while um, having seen one while having lunch earlier this week. And I read somewhere that uh, one of the crocodile's keepers was eaten over a decade ago during feeding time. So uh, I think I'll be keeping my distance. Um, I think you better had, yeah. Uh, very unfortunate uh, episode, that one. And what about the stadium there in uh, Yamcro then, Piers? It's one of the four new ones for the tournament. It costs just under $80 million. Uh, it seats 20,000. It has one main stand, uh, which has two tiers, and the three other ones, uh, which flow around, have just the one tier. And then there's a silver roof, which uh, which does flow all around the ground and keeps some of the sound in. And certainly the Guinean fans, who have been the most impressive in numbers so far here, well, they made a wonderful noise for their 1-1 draw uh, with Cameroon on Monday. Another great facility. Well, the holders, Senegal, have a big test against Cameroon on Friday. They made a great start to beating the Gambia 3-0. And Lamine Camera was the big star of that game. Yes, well, much of the pre-tournament talk was about uh, Lamine Camera being the surprise package. And my gosh, how he delivered in his first game on Monday. That took him to the quite ridiculous statistic of six goals in his first eight internationals. Uh, and he's not even a striker. And he is only just 20, which means that uh, last year he was able to gain invaluable experience when helping Senegal win the under-20 Africa Cup of Nations. He was named the best player. He scored against the Gambia in the final. 
And he repeated that trick, of course, in the Taranga Lions opening Group C clash, of course, not once, but twice. Both goals superbly taken. The pick of them was, of course, the second. A simply exquisitely placed curling strike from outside the box. One of the goals of this or any other Nations Cup. I spoke to former Senegal striker Mamadou Nyong uh, before the defending champions opening game. He said that Cameroon would be a star in three to four years. But I think Cameroon has clearly got other ideas. And his French club Mets must be delighted they've got him on their books. He can take free kicks. He once scored from inside his own half, or the halfway line, I should say. And uh, against um, the Gambia in the opening game, he was incredibly disciplined with his passing, which nearly always went to a teammate. So he really is going to be someone to watch. There is, Steve, a sea of green, yellow and red here in Yamasukro, given the presence of not just Senegal, but Cameroon and Guinea, all their colours. I met a wonderful fan today who has decked out his car in the Guinean colours and flags and posters and lettering to reflect his support for his team. And he had driven all the way from Conakry, a journey of uh, just over 1,500 kilometres. Mr Barry, he told me his name was, and he is surely what the Nations Cup is all about. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Those super fans are part of what makes the Africa Cup of Nations so special. I was speaking there to Piers Edwards in Yamcro, uh, Yamasukro, the capital of Cote d'Ivoire. Now, there are plenty of English Premier League star players here at the Africa Cup of Nations, and one of them is Johan Wisser of Brentford. Uh, Wisser is a regular starter up front for the Bees. He made his international debut for DR Congo in 2020. He's already scored here in Cote d'Ivoire and could be set for a good tournament. Now, before the Nations Cup, the On the Whistle podcast went to Brentford Football Club and spoke to Wisser on how he's feeling ahead of his first Nations Cup. You know, when... I was born, I didn't expect to play football. Um, I didn't expect to play uh, uh, for my for my national team. Um, yeah, so yeah, very happy to looking forward. Um, my mom cried uh, two days ago when they oh, you that. when you yeah. when you're in the list. Yeah, when I was there. <laughs> so yeah, so yeah, very happy to looking forward to play uh, my first after. I'm proud. How proud to be um, uh, to make my parents proud. It's been like two years I'm waiting for for the outcome now. So yeah, very happy. So it's DR Congo and Brentford forward Johan Wisser, that audio taken from the On The Whistle podcast. You can find the full interview there. Just search for On The Whistle. And Alistair Howarth is on the ground in Cote d'Ivoire for On The Whistle. Well, this is Planet Sport Football Africa, brought to you by Passion for Sport. Still to come, Stuart on the English Premier League and on Jose Mourinho losing his job at Roma. You can follow us on X at Planet Sport FA. Well, on social media, we are taking your comments, your views throughout the Africa Cup of Nations on whatever you want to talk about. Uh, Sideko Suno in the Gambia says, congratulations to Namibia. This team's a joy to watch. And what is surprising is that most of their players are locally based or playing in South Africa. Uh, we also asked, who do you think is going to be the top scorer and take the golden boot at the AFCON? And Mohamed Salah and Victor Osimen were the uh, two most common predictions. Uh, Ogodazi Ogor in Nigeria says it'll be Salah, and Nigeria will be bouncing back soon at the AFCON. Uh, Kwajo Boahen in Ghana says Salah will take it. Among those tipping Victor Osimen were Afalabi Sanmi, who's in Nigeria, and uh, George Emmanuel saying Osimen all the way. Uh, Alan Kaunda in 
Botswana thinks Sanjo Mane might be the top scorer. And Demetrius KB in Malawi says, watch out for Lamine Kamara, that 20-year-old guy from Senegal. He's fantastic, and uh, he won the 2023 CAF Young Player of the Year. Yes, we were talking about him earlier, Lamine Kamara, and he's a contender already for the Golden Boot. So lots on our social media throughout the tournament. Do take a look at our posts and our listener questions as we're asking for your reaction to the events at the Africa Cup of Nations here in Cote d'Ivoire. Our Facebook page, Planet Sport Football Africa, and uh, you can always send a WhatsApp at plus four four seven nine double five two three two seven eight zero. That's plus four four seven nine double five two three two seven eight zero. So much to talk about when it comes to the Africa Cup of Nations. Now, the opening games at this tournament produced a remarkable number of surprise results. Uh, The biggest was Namibia beating Tunisia 1-0 for their first ever Nations Cup win. Planet Sport Football Africa's Ephraim Tagu takes a look at the hope that we, as underdogs in life, can have. At a glance, football appears to be a fair game, pitting 11 players against 11 in a sporting contest with rules and regulations, on paper at least. Any team could beat any other. Except, of course, we know that's not the whole story. Put an English Premier League giant like Manchester City or Liverpool up against a Division II struggler in the FA Cup, and it's an unequal struggle from the start. Yes, cup upsets do happen, but they are rare when the gulf between the sides in everything from club, resources, quality, training, experience and expertise is so wide. The Giant will win 99 times out of 100. So instead, lesser sides give themselves different targets. Keep a clean sheet for the first 20 minutes. Let them know they've been in a game. Win your individual battles. Stick together. Fight for the badge. And let's see where it takes us. A gutsy performance can make a defeat feel like a win. And in the Africa Cup of Nations so far, it's very much been a feather in the cap of the underdogs. Only a late Mo Salah penalty saved Egypt from defeat against Mozambique. Cape Verde hit a shock winner in stoppage time to beat four-time Africa Cup of Nations winners Ghana by two goals to one. Nigeria's Super Eagles were held to a 1-1 draw by Equatorial Guinea, who scored with their only shot on target. And there was an historic first Afghan win for Namibia's brave warriors who overcame North African powerhouse Tunisia by a goal to nil with an 89th minute header from Dion Horto. For the neutral, it's always good to see the form book go out the window. It makes for a more exciting tournament and the joy of an unfancied team achieving a phenomenal result is great to behold. The Bible is full of stories where victory is snatched from the jaws of defeat. From the Old Testament tale of David and Goliath, still an expression regularly used today, to the greatest comeback of all time, the resurrection of Jesus Christ three days after the crucifixion. Christians know all about the danger of complacency, the downfall of the powerful, and the hope of the underdogs, as the message translation of the Bible colorfully puts it in 1 Corinthians 1.27. Take a good look, friends, at who you were when you got called into this life. 
I don't see many of the brightest and the best among you. Not many influential, not many from high society families. Isn't it obvious that God deliberately chose men and women that the culture overlooks and exploits and abuses? Chose these nobodies to expose the hollow pretensions of the somebodies. That makes it quite clear that none of you can get by with blowing your own horn before God. Everything that we have, right thinking and right living, a clean slate and a fresh start, comes from God by way of Jesus Christ. That's why we have the saying, if you are going to blow a horn, blow a trumpet for God. That's Planet Sport Football Africa's Ephraim Tagu on the hope that the underdog has in Jesus. You can read the full blog on our website, that's planetsport.tv, and you click on the blog section. The blog is called AFCON, the Day of the Underdog. Now let's go to our European football expert, Stuart Weir in the UK. Lots to talk about in the English Premier League, and this prolonged match day is continuing this weekend, Stuart. Um, yes, Steve, only five Premier League games last weekend saw arranged to allow all clubs to have a 10-day period without playing a Premier League game. But frankly, there was enough drama in those five games which, of course, spread over Friday, Saturday and Sunday to keep us going for a month. It started on the Friday night with Burnley at home to Luton, two promoted clubs, but two clubs in the bottom three. Burnley led until stoppage time. And then Luton got an equaliser. And it was so ironic, after all the fuss last week and before about VAR interventions, that the Burnley manager, Vincent Company, became apoplectic that VAR had not intervened to disallow the Luton goal. My view, for what it's worth, was that the decision could have gone either way, but the referee had seen it clearly, and there was no reason to overrule him. Now, Newcastle led Manchester City with just 25 minutes to go. To be fair, City had dominated the game, but Newcastle had got the goals. City brought on Kevin De Bruyne, not yet ready for 90 minutes, and he conjured a goal out of nothing. And then City got a winning goal in stoppage time from a Norwegian striker. No, not him. Haaland is still injured. Guardiola put on 20-year-old Oscar Bob, who has yet to start a Premier League game. Brilliant play by Bob. Great strategy encouraged by Guardiola to give the youngster his chance. In fact, Steve, you'll love this. Bob is the first Norwegian-born player to score for Manchester City this season because, of course, Haaland was born in England while his father was playing there. And Rodri became the third-ever Premier League player to play 50 consecutive games in the Premier League for one club without losing. Uh, The record holder is Ricardo Cavallo, at Chelsea with 58. Manchester United drew 2-2 with Tottenham and it's hard to sum up the game. United were a goal up in three minutes, 2-1 up at half-time. Goals from Hoyland and Riceford would have thrilled Ten Hag since both of them have been pretty short of goals. But in all honesty, United were chasing the game for most of it. Incidentally, Riceford scored his 127th goal for United, one more than his former manager, Oli Gunnar Solskjaer. Equally, one could say that Riceford had played 1,030 minutes at Old Trafford in the league for Manchester United since his last goal. And Ricarlison scored for Tottenham. That's the sixth consecutive game in which he scored. 
Chelsea beat London neighbours Fulham 1-0, the goal coming from an unnecessary penalty. But for all their spending, Chelsea look a mid-table team, a long way from being able to challenge Liverpool and Manchester City. Despite having spent, is it nearly a billion dollars on players? Having had four coaches since the new owners took over, Chelsea look a long shot for a top-four finish. And Everton drew nil-nil with Aston Villa, a result that neither kept Aston Villa in second place nor helped Everton to move away from relegation. And Steve, if you'd like a silly statistic, of the last 96 Premier League games that Una Emery has managed, none were scoreless. And that is a Premier League record. This weekend, the other 10 clubs, which didn't play last weekend, are involved. Brentford at home to Nottingham Forest. Two clubs too close to relegation for comfort. That's on Saturday, along with Arsenal at home to Crystal Palace. Then on Sunday, we've got Sheffield United at home to West Ham, Bournemouth at home to Liverpool, and Monday night, it's Brighton at home to Wolves. Five games, Steve, kicking off at different times over the weekend. I know you've got a few AFCON games to think about, but I'm sure you can find time for all five games this coming weekend. Well, there's a lot of games to watch this weekend then. And as Stuart, Nottingham Forest and Everton have both been in trouble over spending. Yes, uh, the news has just been announced that Everton and Nottingham Forest are to face charges for being in breach of financial fair play rules. Now, the rules state that over any three-year period, a club cannot be more than £105 million. That's currently about $130 million in debt. And the rule is a good one because it stops a multi-billionaire buying a club, pouring money into it, uh, so that other clubs can't compete. But as always, the devil is in the detail. Everton have already suffered a 10-point deduction for the same offence over a slightly different period. They are appealing, arguing that things like the rise in interest rate, money they're spending on the new stadium, which is creating work for local people, enhancing the city, as opposed to spending money on players, should be taken into consideration. It's hard, frankly, to have much sympathy for Nottingham Forest, which is owned by the Greek Evangelos Marinakis, Uh, He's had it for seven years. And during those seven years, they have brought or taken on loan 130 different players. Now, we've talked in the programme several times about the number of transfers in and out. So it's not a surprise that Nottingham Forest are financially in, in, in trouble there. But the other issue which has annoyed Everton in particular is how quickly the case against them has been concluded while Manchester City, who face 100 allegations of financial malpractice and they say that case will take years to resolve and it's also been said that Everton and Forest crime is nothing compared to the damage that Arsenal, Chelsea, Liverpool, Manchester United, Manchester City and Tottenham did with their plotting of the European Super League and all they got was a small financial penalty. The whole issue is really complicated one cannot help thinking there will be some losers, but that the lawyers will make an awful lot of money out of it. Mm, yeah, indeed. And uh, elsewhere, the legend Jose Mourinho has lost his job. Yes, he was fired by AS Roma. He had been there for two and a half years. He won the European Conference League in his first season. That's the third tier European competition. But he leaves with the club ninth in Serie A, simply not good enough for a big club. 
Mourinho first came to the attention of world football when his Porto team won the Champions League in 2004. To put that in context, Porto were far from being the best team in Europe and would have been nowhere among the favourites. So it was a brilliant achievement by Mourinho to mastermind that success. He then went to Chelsea, won the Premier League twice and two domestic cups. And don't forget, prior to that, it had been 50 years since Chelsea had been champions of England. Another monumental achievement, but after four years he was gone. Two seasons in Italy with Inter Milan saw him win Serie A twice, the Champions League, but two seasons he was gone. Three years at Real Madrid saw him win the league once and reach the Champions League semi-finals four times, but remember it was Real Madrid and that was simply underachieving. He returned to Chelsea in 2013, won the league and won domestic cup, but again, three years later, he was gone. He had three years at Manchester United, followed by two at Tottenham, largely unsuccessful, and then in 2021, he went to Roma. Incidentally, one of the reasons for his failures at Manchester United and Tottenham was that his defensive football simply didn't go down well with the supporters of the clubs. He's hard to sum up. His achievements at some of his clubs were magnificent, but compare him with Alex Ferguson, who brought success to Manchester United after years in the wilderness and continued to be successful in a 20-year stint. Mourinho would go to a club, often have success, but in every case, within four years, he had gone, normally having fallen out with the club's owners. In his first spell at Chelsea, he was a breath of fresh air for English football, a young and inventive coach. But in later years, the negative part of his personality tended to come out more. When his club lost, it was the fault of the referee. When the team was unsuccessful, it was the fault of the owners or league administrators who were against him. He achieved a great deal, but somehow always seemed a flawed genius. The special one. Well, thanks a lot, Stuart. That's it for the show for this week. So from me, Steve Vickers at the Africa Cup of Nations in Cote d'Ivoire and from Stuart Weir in the UK, thanks a lot for listening. And Planet Sport Football Africa is a passion for sport production.